perhaps because of all my self-denigrating talk about my athletic foibles in the past, many of you don't know that I'm actually a decorated athlete. Now, don't laugh. This is true. I've won many awards for athletic accomplishments in my life. From years uh, 20 to, to 50, uh, distance running was a part of my life. And I was given many awards for my running. I remember one in particular in 1984. I won third place in my category in a 10K for my age. I, only think, I think there are only three or four guys in my age category, but the rest of my accomplishments were, were give, I was given medals for them, which I tried to find today and I couldn't find them, but they're somewhere in my possession and all the medals were for the same thing, finishing, which is a thing, you know, Maybe finishing is the thing. Paul, Peter here has written us a treatise on finishing well, finishing strong, finishing, finishing faithful. And, he's, and we're finishing the first letter of his book about finishing faithful. And we're going to jump into the second letter next week in which things get really intense for Peter. And he does finish. And he finishes faithful. In the last few verses then of 1 Peter in chapter 5, he finishes the first letter on finishing faithful during trials with three powerful reminders, four if you count the greetings there at the end, and four in all, let's talk about those. And by God's grace, let's determine that we will run and finish faithful and experience glory together. And these four things, we'll point them out to you. First, you, you need, and all of them really are, you're not alone, you're not alone, you're not alone, you're not alone. They're all, you're not alone. But the first one, well, it's not exactly encouraging, it's a warning. You're not alone. There is the devil, you know, and demons, and there is the reality of spiritual warfare. Jamie, it was interesting that in your testimony that it's interesting that we listened to what you said. You came to believe in angels, and God, because you believe there are angels and came to deeply believe because of the reality of the spirit world. That's interesting. Maybe that's a way to back into faith. Is you, you, you may not recognize the goodness of God, though you should. You may not recognize the grace of God immediately, though you should. You should, however, fully and easily recognize the depravity of human beings. My goodness, I don't want to be rude today, but you could just do that by looking in the mirror we know we're sinners and that there's sin all around us and that something is broken in this world. And Paul and Peter says, we so often preach Paul, we put him where he doesn't belong sometimes. Peter says, oh, and, and as we wrap this up, he says in a very powerful way, be sober-minded and watchful. Peter, ironically, who's famous for falling asleep when he was told to watch and, and pray, he actually, it must have taken some humility for him to say, Stay awake. And everybody's like, <laughs> like, we know what you did. You're famous for falling asleep when Jesus told you to stay awake. He says, be serious. Be sober-minded. Stay awake. Be watchful. And why? Because you're not alone. You have dangerous enemies. He's appealing to the reality of uh, spiritual warfare. And please don't ask me why. But I was listening to a podcast recently <laughs> called The Art of Manliness. Okay, now I'll give you two things to make fun of me about today. Um, the Art of Manliness. My son said, you need to listen to The Art of Manliness. I'm like, 
Why? Anyway, on the podcast, The Art of Manliness, which I'm not uncategorically recommending to you, they interviewed a guy who was a, who was a bodyguard to famous people. That was really interesting. I thought, well, that'd be interesting. He's going to tell how to do karate chops and stuff, how to do secret special holds, or how to use dangerous weaponry. And the main thing he said in the podcast was, you got to know how to avoid trouble. The main thing I do is I keep us out of trouble. I, and he said, and the main quality you have to have is watchfulness. You have to always be aware. He said this over and over again. Be aware of your surroundings. Be aware of what's going on around you. Peter is saying this. It would be foolish. It would be folly. It would be dangerous if you thought there was no devil, there are no fallen angels, there's no spiritual warfare going on around you. Don't attribute to people what's really happening in the spiritual realm. Sometimes we can be angry with people and later, it was Paul who in Ephesians, in an epic passage on spiritual warfare, says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and such. And he, and he talks about spiritual enemies. So be aware and be vigilant. And this passage does call to mind a couple of incidents in Peter's life when he was on earth with Jesus, the one I've already referred to toward the end there, when Jesus was praying in the garden. He said, watch with me, which was code for pray for me and don't fall asleep, even though it's the middle of the night. And Peter was famous for falling asleep and then waking up and trying to make up for it by being militant. There was also the incident where Jesus told Peter, remember the part in the Bible where Jesus told Peter, the devil is looking for you. He wants to have you. And remember what he said to him? To sift you like we. He wants to separate you from everything good. He wants to, he wants to own you. In, in gaming terms, he wants to own you. And so Peter passes this truth on that he learned from Jesus from his own life. And Peter landed on his feet and he finished well. Isn't it heartening to think he finished so well? And yet he was capable of a, a really embarrassing failures. So that's so encouraging to hear. And the devil's prowling, he says, like a roaring lion looking to devour people. Understand, you're not alone. If you're going to finish faithful in, in this course of, that, we're, that we're on, we have to realize we're not alone. There are dangerous enemies around us. It's the reality of spiritual warfare around us. Now, there's a second thing. You're not alone, but there are others who are suffering around the world. This is what he's saying. Others are suffering around the world. He says it in a beautiful way, in a, in a, in a shocking, in, a, in an arresting way. Resist him, he says, verse 9, firm in the faith, knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood, your brothers and sisters around the world. So now I was in Grand Rapids this week for a pastor's conference and my son, at my son Kyle's church, and I got to couch surf at their house. And so I got to speak in chapel where my little grandson Leland goes to a Christian school, and that was fun. And I also got to watch the family life with my, our oldest son, Kyle, a 40-year-old, and his wife, Elizabeth, and they have three boys. I got to watch them get up and get ready for school. You know how you do? Nobody talks. You just kind of go around putting butter on your bagel and grunting one-word answers. And I was just kind of watching that. Oliver is an adorable middle child, just an absolute adorable. If he wasn't my grandson, I would still say he was an adorable child. Brown eyes, beautiful little boy. Conscientious boy, dressed for school, 
in his blue suede Uggs. He got them for Christmas. They were pricey. Blue suede Uggs. He, lo he loves his, his blue suede Uggs. And he was putting butter on his bagel. And he dropped a big clump of butter right on his blue suede Uggs twice. His mom kind of gave him the business over it. It was kind of cute. I'm like, let up on the kid. You know how grandpas are. Buy him some more shoes. <laughs> He'll only go around once in life. Mom is like, those won't even sell on eBay with butter on them now. And then it was like, look up things on YouTube to see how to get butter off blue suede Uggs, which you can't do. I'll just tell you, save you time. Oliver's like, I'm not ever wearing those again, he says. Now, the grandpa in me wants to give him the speech. The, you don't have a real problem speech. You should have seen what I wore when I was your age. I'm just so dying to give him the, the grandpa speech. Everything in me wants to give him a really good version of the grandpa speech. Should have seen the yellow and orange ugly Kmart version shoes I wore when I was your age. They were like $2.99 and people made fun. They beat me up over those shoes. You have expensive shoes. Cost more than my first car. <laughs> uh, I didn't say that, you know, because I was looking past him out to my brand new car thinking, how would I feel if somebody slid through a stop sign and dented my car? It'd be like butter on my blue suede hugs. I, would, I wanted so bad to say, hey, Ollie, buddy, you're going to have worse problems in life. You know, and then there's that thing that parents do and grandpas do, like there are children in the world that are going off to school without clean drinking water today, you know. There are mamas that are walking a long way to get drinking water that's filthy. But, you know, you don't say that to a kid who's upset about butter on his blue suede Uggs. You don't do that. My dad did that to me one day. I called him. I was complaining not here. It was about 20 years ago. I was complaining about something. I don't remember what it was. Somebody did some knuckleheaded thing in the church. doesn't happen very often, but when it does, it irritates you. And I was saying that to my dad. You know, like, well, you know, somebody, whatever, whatever. And I forget what it was. My dad listened real carefully. And then he says, I've, I've told you this before. It's one of those things you should repeat every once in a while. My dad says, well, you know, here's a thing to think about today. If you lived in, if you were a Christian in Central Africa, there are Muslim hordes that might overrun your village, kill all the men and take the girls into captivity. Kind of like the you don't have a real problem with speech. Now that's what Peter is saying. I know you're hurting. I know it's bad. And understand, you're not alone. Your brothers around the world are suffering too. There's a fraternity, there's a sorority, there's a society of, our, of his feelings, the Bible says. There's something about, we're not suffering alone. There are others who are suffering as we pray for them and identify with them. I can't help but think of one of our own, Otis Henderson. He's in a hospital right now. He's on a ventilator. He's really sick. He's really bad. Sweet young man. He's just a young guy. And he came to us recently and he's very sick. So think about Otis. Pray for him. Pray that God would miraculously restore Otis Henderson right now and Heather's wife and they're 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 real scared and sad right now and they're needy there so pray for him please Jesus we pray for Otis right now that you spare his life and that he be back with us one day and uh, we know he's precious to you in Jesus name so Peter reminds us you know there are people that are suffering it'd be good for us to take um, magazines from organizations that work with suffering people around the world it just helps us, you know, when we've got ice on our windshield and it's like, that's really not a big deal. Somebody's upset with us. Yeah, but they didn't, they didn't, we didn't, we, they didn't draw blood today. You know, you're still, 
You're still kicking. You're still going to be all right. You got butter on your shoes, but you're going to be all right. You're not alone. There are others who are suffering. You're not alone. There's spiritual warfare going. Third, you're not alone. This is my favorite one. (laughs) Jesus is with you and glory awaits you. You're not alone. Jesus is with you. Glory awaits you. You have an incredibly, unimaginably bright future to look forward to. I know it's cold and you had to plow twice this week, but heaven awaits you. I know you have bills that you need to pay, but someday will be no bills to pay. I know there are people who misunderstood you, but someday that's all going to be gone. Jesus is going to say, welcome home. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of the Lord. And they're going to worship him forever. We're going to have a family reunion with people that knew the Lord. We'll be able to talk about all the things that he did. This is what the Bible promises. Do you believe it? Your suffering is temporary, but the glory is eternal. Listen, after after you've suffered, this is verse 10. It gets to the heart. This is the sweet spot of this passage, I think. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, you know, the one who just gives and gives and gives and he's generous, generous, good father, great, all God of grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and forever. You are not alone. There's the devil and, and his horde. The, you are not alone. There are other suffering Christians. You are not alone. There is Jesus, and he's with you, and his glory awaits you, and your suffering is temporary, but the glory is eternal, and the glory is something you should think about. For the smart rats today, I have made 10 copies of The Weight of Glory Because I keep asking you to read this, and then when I ask if you have, you have not read it. (laughs) Now, I don't want to scold you because I will get in trouble for doing that. So take this as a gentle admonition. Why in the Dickens haven't you read this? Oh, you should read The Weight of Glory and and, and, and sink your teeth into it. And and here's why. It says many things I'm not going to tell you, but one of the things that C.S. Lewis does so beautifully in this little message that he gave once at St. Mary's Church in wartime in England on a summer night in June in the, to a full house in Evensong. He got up and he said, you have a longing for something. You can't figure out what it is. That longing is heaven. That longing is God. That longing is eternity. There's a word for it in the Bible. That, that, word, is, that word for that longing is glory, eternal glory. That's the word for that, he says. That, that haunting piercing sweetness that you feel when your wife makes a good meal. You sit down, and you look around the table and your children are around the table or, or when you, you have a new baby in the family and you hear their, their voice or you see your grandpa in their face or, or when the geese fly over the moon on an autumn night or when the snow so beautifully falls on your inside by a warm fire. That haunting, wonderful, piercing sweetness of love that you have is, a, is God who made everything saying this is nothing. There's a world beyond this and one that you can't get into it but Christ one day, your great captain, will go through a crack in the wall someday, and you'll, feel, you'll follow him inside. That's why C.S. Lewis says it in this. And you'll follow your great captain Christ inside. You can't get in now, but all the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with a rumor that will not always be so. This is some of the stuff that, that he says. This is what Peter is referring to 
in, in a writing much greater than anything C.S. Lewis ever wrote, inspired by God, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Nothing that you're facing can outweigh the weight of glory. Ah, oh, that's just so sweet. And he's appealing to us as he closes the letter. Peter is in probably in prison in Rome writing this. He's about to die a violent death and go soaring to heaven to see the Lord Jesus and to be able to say, thank you for strengthening me, though I denied you. Even I fell asleep in the garden. I denied you three times, and, and I'm, but yet you strengthened me and you helped me to bear a cross and come to heaven. Eternal glory to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. It, it, you know, one way you could say this is, uh, we say this a lot, it's not about you. It is about you, but it's not about you. God knows yourself and the legitimate self you are. He gets that. But it's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. It's spiritual warfare. It's others around the world suffering. It's Jesus and his dominion and his eternal glory that he shares with us and welcomes us into. And if you do count the last chunk, the, the four different kind of people or people groups referred to in the final greetings, there's a fourth lesson here, a fourth thing to keep in mind to finish faithful. First, we, we realize we're not alone. There's spiritual warfare. There are demons and devils around us. And we're not alone. There are others who are also suffering around the world or world Christians. Right? We're not alone. There's Jesus and the eternal glory that awaits us. And this is really kind of sweet, I, I think. We're not alone because we have each other, you know, such as we are. And, and when you decode who the people are in the last little bit here, there's some interesting backstories there. We won't go into a lot of detail. You should study them. But there's Silas. Silas, Paul's traveling companion, he'd been some places, but they had stories to tell. Paul and Silas singing in the prison in Philippi. Paul and Silas. Silas was no lightweight, but he wasn't, you know, out front. It was Paul, Silas, steady Silas, who, who suffered, but he wasn't a headliner. He, it says uh, here, you will notice it says Silvanus, and also translated Silas. A lot of guys had two different names. Most likely that's Silas. So I think your NIV translates it that way. And he's called a faithful brother. As I regard him, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. What's he saying? Stand firm in the truth that God is a generous giver, grace. Charis, grace, giving. He's a giver. That's his nature. He's good. Stand firm in that. Don't let anybody shake you from God is good. God is good. Sometime you're going to be tempted to believe that God is not good. Don't stand firm. And don't ever let anyone tempt you to believe that God is not good. This you must remember when everything in the world seems like it's flying apart. But God is good. But God is good. And I will believe that God is good. And I will trust that God is good. And, and He will be my reward. And He will be the one who confirms and establishes and strengthens and settles me in the end. He's all my hope. I've been singing that song all week long. Who is our hope in life and death? Christ alone is my hope in life and death. That's good, isn't it? It's what I'm going to say until I die. Christ is my hope in life and death. <laughs> Eric Little knew that. You know, the, the bumper video is the little bumper, the little video that we make so the band can get off the platform and the scripture reader can come. 
And you know you've been watching over and over again. There's a runner there. You know who the runner is, right? You're well read. That runner, the, the first one, is Eric Little, an Olympic runner from Scotland. You know his story. Maybe you saw it so beautifully done in the movie Chariots of Fire. That's your homework if you are a lightweight and you don't want to read The Weight of Glory. Watch Chariots of Fire. And, and uh, Chariots of Fire, an interesting movie, in, in which this Eric Liddell, whose parents are Chinese, missionaries to China, discovers he's a fast runner. And he has this buddy, Abrams, a Jewish boy. And, and they're competing together. And, and, then, and then you know the story. Little is going to run in the Olympics, but they ask him to run the Lord's Day. And he's a good Presbyterian. He's not going to violate the Christian Sabbath as he sees it. And so he won't run on the Lord's Day, a, a qualifying heat. And he says, I can't do it. And they pressure him. In the movie, it's kind of cool. They show this intense thing when all these hot heavyweights are pressuring him to run on the Lord's Day, and he won't run on the Lord's Day. And so they put him into uh, the 400 meter, which he's not quite, he's really a 100 meter runner. He's a, he's a, he's a 100 yard dash guy. They put him in 400 meters. And of course, you know, before in the movie, Abrams presses a quote from the Old Testament into his hand, him that honoreth me, I will honor. We need to remember again that God will honor young people who will give God his day today. The church needs to know that the Lord's Day is the Lord's Day. And needs to honor him. God will honor those who honor him. This is what Eric Little, whether, you, whether your theology about the Lord's Day is, the conviction you can't, you can't argue with. He, he runs and wins the gold medal. He goes, you know that he went, there's a scene in the movie. Do I have time? Yes, I do. There's a scene in the movie where his sister says, what about the mission field? You remember this famous line? His sister's a devout believer. And she said, what about the mission field? What about the calling on your life? What about going to the mission field? And then this is a famous, he goes, I don't know, but when I run, I feel God's pleasure. But then when he finishes and he, and he wins the gold for all of Scotland and for the glory of God, he, he goes back to the mission field where he, where he sows his life like a seed in the ground and dies as a young man. And he finishes faithful. That's why his picture was in my bumper. What a great story to watch the movie or read the many books about, about Eric Little. What an inspiring thing it is to think of those who, who finished faithful. There was Silas. There were the believers in, in Babylon. There's some argument. Some think Peter's referring to his wife. Probably not. This is probably an inclusio. In other words, he starts out. There's a little bracket. He brackets the book. He starts using a literary reference to the people who are scattered and calls them elect exiles. And he's using a literary reference, kind of, kind of acting like you're like the children of Israel in Babylon in, 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 in captivity. They weren't really. They were in Turkey, right? Modern Turkey. And he ends with the same thing, I believe. He's saying, I'm in Rome and the believers around here the elect believers in Babylon. He calls Rome Babylon. I, I believe a lot of scholars believe that. That's what he's saying. But he is referring to a group of believers, faithful believers. Silas, you're not alone. You're on a team. You have each other. It, and we're always going to get along and we're never going to disagree. Am, am I right? And we're always going to see things the same way. Am I right? It's good we have each other because we're always going to see things exactly the same way and we're never going to disagree and we're never going to have any tension or trouble. Am I right? Go ahead and say it. No, pastor, you are not right. And Paul didn't even. Paul, this is sweet, it's in the Bible. 
Paul and Barnabas are going, they're traveling on the first missionary journey. John marks with them, and he leaves at a time when they kind of needed him. Maybe there's a little controversy over where the Gentiles should be included. Nobody knows for sure. Bible doesn't say, but it is an interesting time. Mark bails at the wrong time. It's kind of like he left during COVID, you know, something like that, right? So he's gone. Then they're going on a second journey, and Barnabas, who's actually related to Mark, says, we're going to bring him. Paul says, we're not going to bring him, and he says that strong. Paul, we are not going to bring him. And then the Bible says there's a sharp contention between them. And this isn't to be softened. They do not agree. And these are heavyweights, both of them. Barnabas is a founder. Paul is no lightweight. They do not agree. They sharp contention between them, which is kind of cool. It's recorded in the Bible. I won't tell you the whole story, but, but what is Paul then, who says, no, Mark isn't coming? How does Paul mention Mark here? He mentions him. He says, greetings. She was in Babylon, probably the church in Rome, and who's chosen, the elect, you know, sends greetings, and so does. Now, that's sweet. Mark, my son. And later on, you know, in 1 Timothy, Paul writes and says, send Mark, he's useful to me. Barnabas helped restore Mark. Paul saw that. They, they reconciled that. And it, that's neat that that's there because I think sometimes we can get super discouraged because, you know, people are people and they irritate us and, 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 we, and, and sometimes you get hurt in church, right? But here's what I can tell you from personal experience. When church people, your brothers and sisters, land on the other side of an issue and they hurt you, you'll be comforted by other church people. That's how it will work. Other of God's people will comfort you. And, and we also remember we're not alone. We've got God's people. And we should be devoted to one another, devoted to reconciliation, devoted to thoughtfulness, devoted to kind of be. We have a church covenant that if you're a member of the church, you promised you would. You promised before God you would. The first thing in our church covenant is the unity of the church. You promised God before God, as a vow, a covenant before God, that you would work for the unity of the church, which if you don't, it's a pretty serious thing. There was uh, another guy in the picture. The, can I say it with respect, the little bald preacher guy with the Bible open? Did you see his picture too? Pastor Cummings, Dan Cummings, a friend of mine. He was a, he was a runner too. A super fast runner. He can run six-minute miles back-to-back back in the crim. Did I tell you I finished the crim a few times? Three times I finished. That's 10 miles. I ran 20 miles one time. There were only four people that saw me, my kids. I went out and back 10 miles. They were there. That's, that's the longest I ever ran in my life. I, I was training for a marathon. I decided at 20 miles I don't want to run anymore. <laughs> I quit. I didn't finish that. Finished 20 miles, so that's something. I would run in the crim, but Dan Cummings, he would finish right behind the Kenyans. He was so fast. When you saw him run, it's like those Kenyans and fast runners, their heels are up like where their head is. They're just like full, they're going. Like running down the, the, the in Flint, you finish on Saginaw on the bricks. It's an iconic kind of historic place to finish. And here come the Kenyans down Saginaw on the bricks. And it's just like, oh my word, to watch people finish so fast is shocking. It literally make you cry if you're wired like I am. 
And then there will be some little guys in the distance, and here they come, and Cummings would be among them, the other Pastor Cummings guy. And he would be flying down that road. When he would speak to our students, he had this powerful gravitas. He loved, the, he loved to read the Puritans. He was a deep, rich thinker, and he was a good friend. We were in a race together one time. He, it was up in Ludington, a half marathon. Uh, he started up in the pack with the fast people. I did not. I started back in the pack with the medium people like 10, I wanted to go, I think, 10-minute miles that day. That was going to really be hard for me. But I stayed with it, and I finished that. And a really shocking thing happened that day. Dan Cummings had finished a long time before me. And he usually would be getting his car and drive home. He'd be halfway back to home before I finished. But when I came across the finish line, I heard his voice. Hey, Ken, you're looking good. You're on your time. Good job. Well done. I was like, oh, my goodness. Dan Cummings waiting for me. <laughs> he waited for me to finish. Probably got really stiff waiting for me to finish. And then Dan got cancer, and he went to be with the Lord. And the day he died, and they told me about it, I thought, he did it again. He finished, faithful. And maybe he'll be waiting for me, and we'll see him again. Peter finished faithful. Eric Liddell finished faithful. Pastor Dan Cummings finished faithful. Will you, will you finish faithful? You can. Who else will finish faithful because of your faithfulness? And none of us would have finished if it wasn't for that Jesus finished faithful. Because of the unbroken faithfulness of Jesus, we can look to him. He called us to his eternal glory. He himself will restore and confirm and strengthen and establish us to him. Be the dominion forever and forever. Amen. That's one benediction. I'm going to call Mark Havisto to pronounce another one. Would you stand to your feet and resolve in your heart, God helping you. Like Jesus, you will run the race faithful. You'll finish faithful. If you need help, please get to come and tell us. We'll have people here to pray with you if you'd like to, someone to pray with you this morning, Mark.